It's, uh, it's really good to be with you all today. Thanks for being here and spending time. Uh, it's so weird. We live in a culture where it's like we have to make an effort to like cut out time to worship God. Um, and yet you're here and, and that blesses my heart and I hope, um, I hope that there's an opportunity for transformation for you in some way today. So if you've uh, been with us any length of time, you know that we uh, are in a, uh, a series called A Fresh Look at the Old Book. Looking at some of the, even if you're not super familiar with the Bible, uh, if you're not like, uh, if you're not a super church person, these are hopefully characters and stories that you may have heard of. So we talked about like Adam and Eve, and we talked about Cain and Abel, and the flood. Now we're talking about Abraham. Uh, last week we um, we met Abraham really for the first time. It's later on in his life. Uh, we're just kind of picking and choosing. And uh, we saw why Abraham is thought of by our, our Jewish friends as kind of like the paradigm of hospitality. Um, so we looked at this at this very strange story where uh, God appears in the in th- in three persons, like three men meet uh, Abraham. But we're told in Genesis that that's Yahweh, that's God. We talked about how that's sort of a hint that the Trinity is kind of embedded sort of in the in in, in Scripture, and this is probably the first hint of that uh, in in the Bible. But uh, so God appears to Abraham as three persons. Abraham is like this; he's the best host ever, and he throws God a party and like kills an animal and bakes, his wife bakes like 25 pounds of, of cookies and they have this awesome moment and we find that, uh, that as in, in table fellowship, whenever you're hanging out with people, what naturally happens, you begin to re- reveal things about yourself. You start to get to know them a little bit. You start to, to talk to them a little bit and start, the walls start to come down and God's walls sort of come down a little bit. And at the end of the story last week, um, what happens is, is, is God, through these three men, tells Abraham, hey, says, I love you. I'm going to be here one year from now. I'm going to come back in a year and you are going to have a son when I get here. And we're going to pick up the story uh, right after that. But before we do, I would like to just get one thing sitting in the back of your, of your head. Um, if you're a, uh, if you're not familiar with church, church isn't a, a, a big thing for you. You may not know this, but in Christian tradition, the term election is a really big deal. Uh, there's this sense that, um, that in Christian theology that God chooses some people and doesn't choose others. Okay? Uh, now this can be really controversial because presumably what Christians are talking about, they're saying God chooses some people and those people get to go to heaven. And he doesn't choose other people, and they have to go to hell. Um, sometimes uh, the sheep and the goats, or things like that. It's actually uh, kind of a sort of a frightening, like idea um, that that God's out there, and it, it seems like we might have a choice. Nope, nope. Apparently, God's the one who just you know just does it all on his own and says you're okay, you're not, and uh, and that's a really kind of scary idea. And and you might be wondering if God's really the loving God, the gracious God that we've been seeing in the Old Testament, then maybe maybe we need to rethink that, or maybe we need to look at that in a new way. And so one of the things that's going to happen today is we're going to get introduced to God's notion of what it's like when God chooses, when God elects. And I want you to have that in the back of your mind. Does God really choose some people and not others? And we're going to see, uh, I think, not only um, what God is like, but what that actually means for us today and, and what we kind of can take away from that as we begin to think about God's choosing us in our lives. So just keep that in the back of your minds. Like I said, Abraham's just been told, hey, buddy, you're going to have a—where's your wife— 
and Abraham's like, oh, she's over there in the tent. And so the, the, um, so Yahweh, through these three guys, kind of like raises his voice and he says, he says, hey, good news, buddy. Next year, when I come here, you're going to have a son. And that's where we're picking it up. And uh, let's, let's read uh, the text here. Now, Abraham and Sarah were both very old. Sarah was no longer menstruating. She's hit menopause. We're past it. So Sarah laughed to herself, thinking, I'm no longer able to have children, and my husband's old. Yahweh said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, me give birth at my age? What, is anything too difficult for Yahweh? When I, it says it again, when I return to you about this time next year, Sarah is going to have a son. Sarah lied and said, I didn't laugh, because she was scared. But God said, no, you laughed. All right, cool. Then, uh, just switching gears, the men got up from there and went over to look down on Sodom. They've been passing by, uh, if you remember from last week, they've been passing by Abraham's uh, camp sort of on the way to a city. They're going to go check out a city, and, and, and so somehow God is a part of that. God is in them and, and, and stops off at Abraham's place. Now they're ready to continue to, 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 to finish their, their trip. They're going to Sodom. And Abraham, good host that he is, is walking along with them to send them off. When Yahweh said, come kind of to himself, will I keep from Abraham what I'm about to do? And the, the answer is no, I'm not. Because we've had this great meal together. He's an awesome guy. I love him. That's it. I'm going to spill the beans. I'm going to let him know what's happening. I'm going to put all my cards on the table. I'm going to tell him what's going to happen in the grand scheme of things, the big narrative, the big story of the world. I'm going to spill it on him right now. And this is what God says. Abraham will certainly become a great populous nation. And all the earth's nations will be blessed because of him. I have chosen him so that he will instruct his children and his household after them, and they will keep to Yahweh's path, faithfully exercising authority, so that Yahweh can do for Abraham everything he said he would. A couple of things we gotta, we got to talk about. It's all that laughter, right? It's kind of weird uh, how the, the text keeps re- repeating, laugh, laugh, laugh. The reason for that is the Hebrew um, for laugh is ishak. Ishak, which when you transliterate that into English becomes Isaac. And uh, we don't, you don't know, we didn't talk about this, but, but um, God's already predicted that Abraham's going to have a son. And he tells Abraham and Sarah, when you have him, I want you to call him Isaac. And they're like, what? Because Isaac means he laughs. They're like, it's a weird name for a kid. Well, God knew something they didn't. He knew he was about to prove a point to them. And so uh, when he gets there and, and now, you know, Sarah's like, this is impossible. And so she's like, ha, ha, God, really? Really? At this, there's no way. And so um, that, that laughter, you know, when she's reflecting on this later, she's like, oh, you played one on me, God. And the idea being that once Isaac comes into the world, Isaac is going to be a reminder and a sign that when God's about to do something, when God's on, on the path, there's nothing he can't do. Okay? There's nothing he can't do. And, and as silly as it might look to us, as ridiculous as it might seem to us, God, when God's after something, when he's, when he's got a plan, he can do amazing, incredible things. First thing on your note sheets is that. Sarah laughs, and so do we, by the way. Because God doesn't do, usually do miraculous things. But here's the deal. In order to fulfill his plan, God will and can do anything. So, last week... After the service, Doreen runs up to me. She's like, oh, Tom, I just got to tell you. She's like, yeah, I had my test and all my cancer is gone. I was like, what? I laughed. 
Ishak. Like, oh, Doreen, yeah, it's stage four, so that's not, that's impossible. Is it? She's like, that's what the doctor said. Like, oh. And the idea being that in our regular, you know, going through life, yeah, it is impossible. These aren't things that happen. But sometimes God's got more going on than we know. And so sometimes God does incredible things. And notice, notice it in the text. God doesn't get mad at Sarah for laughing, right? God gets it. In fact, he's kind of setting her up to laugh. He's kind of setting her up to, to remind her to kick out the, from her legs and be like, whoa, wait a second. Don't think you know what's going on. Uh, you know, he calls her out on it. He's like, he's like, oh no, you laughed. But he's not like, he's, God doesn't say, you know, doesn't take away the promise. Doesn't do, all he's doing is he's saying, hey, human beings, once I'm involved, you don't know what's coming. You don't have any idea. Well, your rules are not my rules. And yeah, I know it's weird and it seems impossible, but it's not. Because I'm me and you're you. So after that, after the prediction is made, the three men um, and, and these three persons in whom God is, is, is active, they, um, they, they take off. And so um, let's look back at the text. Men got up from there. They're going to go look um, at Sodom. Abraham's walking with them, and God has this moment where he's like, I have got to share with Abraham what's up. I've just got to tell him. He said, and it's sort of done as like God's having an aside with himself, but presumably he does reveal this because Abraham seems to know it afterwards. So, so Abraham will certainly become a great populous nation. You know, he's an old man. He's like 100 years old. He's still going to have a son, and that son is going to multiply, multiply, multiply. And then the, the critical moment where God kind of lays out what he's up to. He says, all of the earth's nations will be blessed because of him. Now this is kind of a weird... If you're Abraham, right, you're like, I want to have a son because, you know, having an heir is great. Every, you know, every dad wants to have a son, I guess. Um, and that's really important. So for Abraham, maybe and from his perspective, having a son is like a sign of honor, something like that. But that's not what God seems to be concerned about. God's not concerned about how happy Abraham is, what Abraham gets or doesn't get. Instead, he's saying, Abraham, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you a populous nation. And guess what? The reason I'm doing it is that the earth's nations will be blessed because of you. And, and the, the Hebrew there is weird. It's actually, um, I mean, it's, it really is more like um, all the nations will, um, will have good for themselves with you or through you. Or um, the nations will bless themselves um, by you. Which is a, it's a kind of a weird construct, which is why most translations go be blessed. They just make it passive. But really the idea is that like, is that like the, the, the nations of the world, right, they're going to they're gonna be looking at what's going on with Abraham and his people. And they're, they're going to be like, ooh, ooh, what's that? Um, we, we, we know that I have, uh, I have some examples of this that in, in our contemporary context. Whew. You guys like self-help books? I do. I think they're awesome. I didn't read any self-help books until I was um, tasked with uh, leading the church. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm way out of my depth. I better find somebody who's done this before and read what they had to say about it. And then uh, I haven't read this book, but um, I, lo- I love the title of it. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, think, about what that, think about what that book is saying, that title is saying. So back when there used to be bookstores, you know, you'd go to Borders where I worked in high school, and you'd be walking down the aisle, and you'd be looking, and you see this, this title, 
seven habits of highly effective people. And you stop, and you're like, man, I'm so ineffective. Like, and, and the thing is, I know people in my life who are highly effective. They must know something I don't. I wonder if I read this book, I can get the secret to figuring out what makes these people so awesome and me so terrible, such that I can become one of them. Right? See the logic of that? Uh, in fact, every single uh, self-help book that's out there is predicated on the notion that you're terrible, that you're not good at stuff. It's like uh, the seven ways to get a really healthy church. Well, my church is unhealthy, and my church is falling apart, so I need to have these seven. Interesting, interesting. You know that the market for self-help books only increases over time? It only gets larger. People keep writing more and more self-help books. Why is that? Because they're not working. <laughs> like, like, like it's, not, it's not like you read the book and you're fixed. So that's something to keep in mind. But uh, the, 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 more, the more contemporary version of this is social media, right? What's your brand? Self-branding, so important. Social media, um, you edit, you curate your life um, so that you know, it looks a very particular way. It's like you only take pictures of your kids at certain times of the day, and then you make sure those are what, what, go, what go up there. And, and, and what happens is all these other people, they're following you, or they're, they're, they're browsing, and they start to see your life. And they're like, wow, what a highly effective person. That person's really got it sorted out. Look at how happy their kids are all the time. Look at how six Are they in Bali? Is that even a country? Wow, how'd they get to Bali? I wish I could go to Bali. Maybe if I follow them, I will begin to figure out how to become like them. I will begin to imitate them. Uh, This is exactly what the Hebrew is communicating when it talks about the nations of the earth. The nations of the earth are going to look at Abraham and be like, huh, they seem to really have it figured out. If we start you know, kind of doing what they do, then we'll actually be blessing ourselves. We'll be getting good things for ourselves if we start living and acting and and, and doing what they do. In fact, you might even say that Israel, Abraham and his descendants are going to become the self-help book for the whole world. You might even say that once um, the story of Israel becomes textualized in the Bible— that the Bible becomes the book for the whole world, that, that, show, that shows the whole world exactly how things ought to be, even though they're not. That, that shows how things could be if we did X, Y, and Z. It's sort of like the self-help book for all of the world. What does that mean for Abraham? Well, this is the next thing in your note sheets. It means that God gives Abraham a son not to make him happy, but to save the world. If you've been with us any length of time, you know that the world is getting worse and worse and worse. It started out great, and then um, Cain kills Abel, and then um, there was so much violence and, 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 and terribleness that, uh, that there was a flood. It, gets, it's, it still is worse after that. We skipped over Babel, but that's another story. The world is a disaster. Everyone's running around doing whatever the heck they want, right? And what it turns out what they want is to like hurt each other. And so the world is a complete disaster zone. And in the midst of that, God comes along to Abraham and says, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to make you a great nation. Why? Because everyone's going to start to look at you, and they're going to get fixed. 
For those of you um, who know the story of Jesus, you know one of the most important things, he comes from the people of Israel, that one of Abraham's descendants is Jesus. That Jesus comes in once and for all, like fixes everything completely. That's what God's about. Abraham's like, man, it sure would be good to be able to play catch with my son. I sure would like that. He's 100 years old. He probably maybe, maybe watches his son play catch with somebody else. But, but however, however it works, that, that's, that's great for Abraham. That's not what God's about. God's got bigger fish to fry. God's going to save the world. Back to the text. I love this. I have chosen him so that he will instruct his children and his household after him. And they will keep to Yahweh's path, faithfully exercising authority. Hmm. Uh, It's a Hebrew idiom. It really literally says, I have known Abraham or I recognize him. Um, But it's used throughout uh, the scripture to really mean choose. I have elected. I have chosen Abraham. This is my guy that I'm going to do it through. And and there's no reason, by the way, that Abraham gets this and other people don't. It's not as though God's looking around. He's like, I found the best one. Uh, In fact, later on uh, in in Israel's story, God's even going to literally say, he's like, I didn't choose you because you're great. I chose you because you're terrible. I chose you because you're useless and no one likes you. Uh, Because then it makes me look better when I make you good because you're not. So it's not like Abraham's an awesome dude or whatever. It's just that God, for whatever reason, just sets and says, you know what, I'm going to use this guy. And what's he going to do? Instruct his children. And they will keep to Yahweh's path, faithfully exercising authority. Older translations will say, um, uh, keeping um, justice and righteousness. Uh, this is the Hebrew, and it's a really important Hebrew phrase. It gets used throughout the Old Testament, siddakah and mishpat. Um, justice and righteousness. And it gets used a lot by the, the prophets saying, you know, you guys, you've missed justice and righteousness. The problem is that when we, with our, our Western 21st century ears, hear words like justice and righteousness, we come at them kind of with a wrong vibe. We, we come at them uh, a little differently than Israel came, came to them. And, and I want to demonstrate what that looks like. When we say justice, we tend to think of a dude with a gavel um, who's like, and, and what the dude with the gavel does, so let's say, um, let's say that, let's see, who do I not like? Uh, Sierra. Sierra, after serving in Haiti, comes, comes back to America where she is made fun of. Let's just say that Sierra, this actually happened to my cousin in the 80s. When my, how old are you? She's 15. My cousin was 16 and she shoplifted at Disneyland. Happiest place on earth. There, some sins are worse than others. Stealing from the mouse. That's right up there, man. Let's just imagine that Sierra, like my cousin, decides to do a little shoplifting at her next uh, trip to Disneyland. Well, from what I understand, the mouse police, um, they're in plain clothes at all times. And you think that you're surrounded by just other tourists, but no. The mouse police are like uh, secret agents. And as soon as somebody does anything wrong, because they, everything's under surveillance at that um, uh, at that surveillance state, I mean uh, amusement park. Um, what happens is these plainclothes mouse police like immediately grab you and take you underground, right? And then and then there the, the mouse judge looks at you and, and and you've got this like souvenir cup in your hands and is like, nope. He looks and he sees the penalties for stealing a souvenir cup from the mouse and he's like, you're banned for life. Get out. 
But that's justice, right? That's justice. It's like there's a set of rules, and, you know, you did the wrong, Sarah did the wrong thing. She wanted that souvenir cup so bad, and she had to have it, so she took it. There are consequences to your actions. You look here, here's the penalty, this is the penalty, done and done. That's justice, right? Let's imagine instead that uh, Sierra is at the local, um, I don't know, where do people shop? Walmart. She's at Walmart. And she's looking around and she's like, oh, I really do need that Kit Kat bar. So she just, do you like Kit Kats? I don't even care. She gets the Kit Kat bar, just slips it in, right? And now, now just imagine that she's there with her parents, and her parents see it. What do they do? Well, they ha- they're perfectly within their rights to just, just haul her off to the police station, right? Just, just perp walk her right out of Walmart, take her down to the station, say, officer, our daughter here is a thief. We would like to press charges. She needs to spend some time in the slammer because she's done, she, because she's broken the law. Now, if, if they actually did that, that would be pretty funny. Um, just because it's fun to watch people suffer. But, but, but wow, I would, I would sort of be like, oh, Sierra's parents are a little bit, I don't know, crazy? Like, does that seem like, that seem like, a, like, does that seem like the thing that a good parent would do? Like, perp walk your kid? Especially, I mean, Sierra, you don't know, if you don't know her, she's a pretty good girl. She doesn't, it's not like she's out, you know, starting fires all the time. So we're, not, we're not talking about a real bad egg here. So it would be really weird if, 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 if her parents like perp walked her and, and sent her to jail over a shoplifting incident. Instead, what we would expect is maybe a stern talking to. You know, Scott's like, honey, uh, theft is wrong. You should not be doing this. Um, and then what he might do is he might sort of walk her up to the Walmart manager, Right? And say, honey, I think you need to tell uh, so-and-so what, what happened. Say, I'm sorry, sir. I, I was so tempted by this delicious chocolatey Kit Kat. And, I, and I, I succumbed. And then the manager of the store is like, Oof, that's not good. And so Scott uh, has Sierra pay with her own money and gives the Kit Kat back. And then Sierra's forced to ask, is there something I can do to make this up, right? And Scott's good friends with the store owner. They're part of the same community, so they know each other, and, and, they, and, and, they, and they care about each other. And so the store owner's like, hey, Sierra, why don't you go in the back and stack boxes for a while so you really understand that you made a bad choice? But I don't want to see you end up in handcuffs because that, that seems like that would be a little bit overboard, um, I, I want to see, you know, you grow and become good and right. I want you to be a, a better part of this community. And I think the best way to do that is not to slap you in handcuffs, even though we could, according to the law, uh, but instead, instead to sort of, you know, do right by you, by, right by our relationship, you know. We're, we're, we're friends. We're almost in, in a kind of an extended family type thing here. And we need to take care of each other, right? That right there is exactly what Scripture means when it says sedaka and mishpat, righteousness and justice. Uh, scripture, um, even the word we get justice, mishpat, can actually mean uh, just judgment 
It just means authority to judge. So you can actually have bad mishpat. You can have bad judgments. It's not justice the way we think about it. It's the authority to execute something. And, and righteousness isn't like some pure uh, person who's like, you know, holy. We tend to associate righteousness and holiness. It's really, um, it's, it's really being right according to your relationships. It's like if you have an, a relationship with someone, you have obligations to them. And you need to do right by that. The, the, the doing right by Sarah is not throwing her in jail. It's, it's instructing her and transforming her so that she becomes a productive, good member of society. So the whole community benefits. That's righteousness. And so uh, when I translate um, faithfully executing judgment or authority, what the scriptures are saying is, is God's looking at all these, these, these nations and they're just raging. It's, it's the strong guys beating up the weak people. And, 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 and there's injustice and, 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 and violence everywhere. And God's saying that's not the way things ought to operate. Things ought to operate more the way that they do in a really good home or household. Isn't it interesting that God chooses Abraham, the head over a very large household, a community of several hundred people who all know each other, who all know how to do right by each other, and says, I'm going to make you the example. What's going to happen is you're going to exercise authority in a new and different way. It's going to be radical to the world. They're going to look at it and be like, what? We're used to the strong rule, and everybody else just gets nothing. And Israel is going to live according to God's way. They're going to do right by God and right by each other. That's the next thing in your note sheets. God wants Abraham's descendants to teach the world how to do right by him and one another. That's Sadaka and Mishpat in, in, in Hebrew. So what does that all, let's zoom out, let's zoom out. So, so hopefully you're with me here. Abraham has been chosen so that he can uh, develop a, a, a set of descendants who are going to be assigned to the world. The world's going to want to imitate and be a part of them, which, by the way, actually happened. Have you noticed that, that that's true? That um, the three of the world's major religions all think of Abraham as, as father, and almost every, at least all the Western nations and most of the Middle Eastern ones um, have followed uh, Abraham's example and try to imitate his, his way of doing things. So what God said in Genesis actually did take place. So just food for thought. Anyway, um, so, but if we, if we zoom out, we see God's master plan of how to, how to fix the world, how to get it, get it right. What does that have to do with choosing? I think I have the, uh, do I have the, all of the, all of your choices? Yep, there they are. It's interesting. We, we, we have elections in this country. We get to choose um, who becomes whatever. Uh, most of the people on this, uh, in this picture have been elected to one office or another. What does that mean? What does it mean when we do elections here in the United States of America? Well, presumably, everyone's sitting around being like, something's wrong with America. Like right now, I'm, I'm just... I'm upset about my energy prices. That's really been animating me lately. I've been ranting and raving about, uh, is anyone SDG&E, San Diego Gas and Electric? It's, they're, they're robber barons. Um, these people are, they, they should be strung on, on a yard arm. If there was a way that I could um, vote for, if there was some elected or politician who came up and said, uh, my desire is to destroy San Diego Gas and Electric, I'd be like, you got my vote, brother. You go, man. You take those jerks down. What am I doing, right? I'm saying there's something wrong with the world. My 
My energy prices are ridiculous. And so I need somebody to go and make it right. And so I'm going to vote for that person. I'm electing them to do a job. I'm electing them. We even use the word public servant, right? You elect someone who goes and gets something done for you, right? We get upset when we, we elect people and then they don't do that. Some people, some politicians, uh, they, they, they get elected and then they just, they just love all the power and the prestige and the perks that come with being an official. They get to be sort of famous, kind of, even though they're ugly. Like, it's a, it's a really good deal, you know, for them. And, uh, and, 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 and they seem to really like that. And they forget. They forget what they were elected to do. We don't elect to make their lives good. I don't elect somebody, I don't vote for someone because I want them to have, I don't know, a really sweet uh, motorcade as they, you know, drive around Washington, D.C. or whatever it is that politicians do. That's not what I'm about. When I'm voting, I'm voting for them to fix the problems, to save stuff, to make it better. Did you notice that is exactly the same dynamic with which God approaches Abraham? God's not sitting around being like, Abraham, I'm choosing you because... Golly gee, I want you to have a great time. He's not saying, Abraham, I'm choosing you because, I don't know, I need to choose somebody. No, 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 the whole time he's saying, I'm electing you to do a job for me. I am choosing you so that you may go and accomplish what I need accomplished. And this is the secret, really, when you're looking at the scriptures, when you're trying to understand what God is like, the secret is to understand God doesn't choose just for gigs. He doesn't just, you know, whoopee, I like to choose. God, and this is the uh, next thing in your note sheets, God elected you to help save others. People get it all backwards. They say, oh, God chose me. That's so great for me. Now I can go to heaven. Maybe. Um, I'm not sure that God's election always corresponds to going to heaven in the Bible. Um, in a lot of cases it does. But really, for the most part, what God's election has to do with is grabbing people and making them a part of God's rescue plan for everybody else. You aren't chosen for you. You're chosen because a lot of other people need you. Election, uh, really, I mean, honestly, what this means for us today, like every, every single person here um, is in some way or another on the election spectrum. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like the, what, the way we torture kids um, in, in school is we uh, make them play kickball at recess, right? And I do this in the youth group because, again, I like to, I enjoy making the kids suffer. Um, but what you do is you, is you, choose, you get, okay, we're going to play kickball or whatever. You get, two t- you get all the kids there and you select two captains. The captains stand out and they're like, okay, you, choose first. And it, this is just a, it's a grinding process designed to, to make children recognize that their only value comes um, from the acceptance of their peers, which is a really good thing to teach them. And, uh, and, and so the, the first person gets chosen and the first person chosen is like, woohoo, I'm awesome. And then, like, one after another, the exclusion begins. And, and there's that one kid who's like, there's no place for me on any team. There's probably somebody here um, today who is unchosen. 
you're not sure if you're on God's team or not. Um, maybe you're in a place where you're pretty sure you're not, uh, you're not even sure God exists, but if he does, you're definitely not with him. Whatever God's up to, it has nothing to do with you. Maybe uh, things are really messed up in your life, and you're like, if God, if God could just reach out and choose me, uh, I think that maybe things could be different for me. Well, did you notice, did you notice um, the, the logic of God's choosing, right? If he's choosing people to, if he's choosing Abraham to, to reach other people, well, presumably, that means that God's actually interested in kind of choosing everyone. That's what God wants. God doesn't want anyone to remain unchosen. God wants, he's choosing you to help save them, and then they, so God chooses them through that, and then they go and they help save them. The idea is that God's hoping, God's, God wants everyone to end up chosen, and that includes you. If you are unchosen, the greatest, most amazing good news that I can offer to you today and for every day is that, that if you want to be on God's team, just trust him. That's it. Just say, I believe. I believe you, God. Uh, and, and we now, because of the revelation of Jesus Christ, we just trust in Jesus for eternal life. That's it. That's how you get on the team. That's how you jump in. Abraham's, uh, we, we're told Abraham, he trusted God. And it was accounted to him as righteousness. In the same way, if you trust in Jesus right now, you are on the team. End of story. And if you want to know more about that, I would love to talk to you. Um, please, let's have a conversation about that. Some here are, uh, some, some got chosen early. You know, the kickball game is going, and, uh, and the captain's like, oh, I like you. And you love being chosen. It's great to be chosen. It makes you feel awesome about you. Um, and you're standing there on the field, and you don't really, not paying attention to the game. It's just good to know that uh, you're, you're on the team, that you, you got elected. It's pretty cool, you know. Uh, the, the, the guy who chose you, he's popular. That kind of makes you popular, right? And it feels great to be on the team. You were not chosen to sit there in the middle of the field while the kickball game took place. You were not chosen to come here and sit in the pew. I know, I know. People are getting mad now because, like, every time you say pews, you say you want to replace them with chairs. Well, I do want to replace them with chairs. And I'm not going to apologize for that. Fine. Anyway, you were not chosen to come and sit here and just be like, entertain me, clown. <laughs> like, that's not, that's not, what, that's not what, what God's up to. That's not who God is. God is choosing you to give you a mission. You, in the, if you want to use the kickball metaphor, you're supposed to play a position. You have something to do. And if you're sitting here being like, man, it sure is great to be on Team Coast Bible Church. You're doing it wrong. You are called to play a position. And I don't know what that is. Yes, for some people it's um, being generous. For, some, for other people it's, I don't know, running the youth group. We could use that right now. Other people it's, uh, you know, volunteering to teach. Whatever. There's lots of things you can do. We got a lot of things that need to get done around here. And you were called to do those things, to reach out with the gospel, with God's saving love to others. And when you're playing that position, the, the, those of you who are like working hard, you, you love being first baseman, and you're like 
I love to be a first baseman, and I'm working hard, and, and, and I, I love to be a children's teacher or whatever, and I'm the best teacher that ever was, and I practice super hard, and so I'm, I'm going to make sure that I'm the best teacher that I could ever live. No! Last but not least, did you notice that Abraham didn't do anything? God chose him, and then God saved the world through him. Abraham was like, oh, sweet, that happened, cool, thanks, God. There was no, like, it wasn't like Abraham was like, I'm going to do it, I'm going to save the world as hard as I can. Uh, No, what God does is he chooses you, and in his spirit empowers you. It's not like, it's not like you're, if you just work out enough, then you can be what God needs you to be. Instead, God's spirit uh, moves through you and empowers you to accomplish the mission he has for you. And so if you're out there and you're playing, sometimes people are like, I, I'm, if I don't get to play first base, I'm, I quit. That's not how God's team works. God's team works more like, like, you know, he directs and then we go and then we watch the game unfold. If you're out there and you only play one position, try a new position. Be like my dad. My dad was playing a lot of positions. And he's like, dude, I'm like 100 years old. I need, I need a break. <laughs> you know? This is cool. This is, a lot of people are like, like, I could never quit. I could never stop doing what I'm doing because then no one would do it. Right? My dad was like, he got to the point where he's a crusty old man. He's like, I don't even care. If the kids have no teacher, they have no teacher. I'm putting in my, I'm done. I'm out. What's great is that now there's a new position open and God can fill it to help save those kids. It's not, if you think that you're like, you know, not expendable, I hate to tell you, you are. But there's freedom in that. There's something awesome about the fact that God's bigger and more powerful and more amazing than just what you can do. That his spirit can go and can transform and can make things happen. I'm going to pray us out. Um, I'm going to pray for the unchosen, the chosen, and those of you who are playing in positions. Gracious God, um, thank you for um, wanting to choose everyone. Thanks for not being a God who's um, interested in excluding, uh, who's interested in, in shoving some people away. God, I pray if there's anyone here who hasn't trusted you, who, who hasn't been chosen by you yet, that they'll believe today. That they will trust you and say, God, choose, I, I believe that you choose me. I believe in your son for eternal life. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe because you've said it, it's true, and I want to be on your team. God, I pray for uh, the chosen here, those um, who are... We're just sort of waiting for a position. God, I, I just I pray that you'll open up our eyes to see what you've called us to do, to the special ways that you have for us to participate in your rescuing and your saving the world. I pray that um, there will be those here who realize that they're meant to go and share the gospel. There are those who are meant to go to Haiti. There are those who are meant um, to serve here in the church in specific ways, to um, to give or to, to disciple, to train, to use their gifts and talents, their art, whatever it is, Lord. Um, I just pray that, that you will demonstrate for people to encourage them to know that they have a place on the team. 
And last, God, I just pray that those of us who, who do have a work that we believe you've called us to, that, God, it won't be our strength, but it'll be yours, that we'll let go and recognize it's your spirit that has power, that we're sort of along for the ride, that you do the choosing, you do the saving, and we just trust you and follow you, and that's it. God, thank you for the example of Abraham. And thank you for choosing Coast Bible Church. In Jesus' name, amen.